This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So today is Father's Day. We want to welcome all of you. And uh, Father's Day is such a special day for the Church of Jesus Christ. Because everything that God has ever done, He's tried to reflect his role as a father to us. And sometimes we fail to understand that because we see a God of judgment. You know, Bonnie and I were talking, uh, even last night, we talked a few times about this, but last night, people don't understand why the Bible is full of judgment. Why would God tell the Israelites to go and slay a whole community of people, destroy people? Well, if you understand that there were seasons where the people became so defiled before God that they weren't even human anymore. The Bible says that is in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end of time. How many of you know that when you start messing around with your gender too much, you may not be a human being anymore? You know, when you start breeding yourself with animals and you start breeding yourself with all kinds of different things, When do you stop being human and when do you start becoming something that is not something that God died for? So the Bible talked about the Nephilim. It talked about a group of people that had begun to have cohabitation with man. And they were no longer men. Jesus came to redeem man and mankind. God's intention was for man and mankind, not for some hybrid. That's why God doesn't like hybrid anything. Hello? God forbid us to build hybrids. Why? Because most hybrids can't reproduce after their own kind. So I just think that something you you understand, you get to a place of defilement to where God says, hey, there's nothing I can do except destroy that to preserve it. The Bible talked about Noah being the only man left on earth. And God destroyed the whole world because man had corrupted himself. So... God didn't do that because he's an evil God. He did it because he came to be a loving father to mankind. But mankind continually has evil in their heart. That's why we need redemption. That's why we need to be born again. Adam sinned and all mankind fell with him. But God said, no, I'm a father to you and I want to redeem you. So he sent his only begotten son that we might have eternal life. For that I am eternally grateful And that's why I preach the gospel. That's why today I get to stand before you and talk to you about a loving father on Father's Day. So let's just talk about fathers. I want to talk to you about one of the first fathers in the Bible, one of the patriarchs. His name was Abram. Abram. Everybody say Abram. Abram became Abraham. Abraham. Say Abraham. But he went through a transition of being Abram. The name Abram means exalted father. It's a picture of mankind in a tribalistic, God-forsaken, Chaldean, ancestral worship setting. The Chaldeans were ancestral worshipers. The Chaldeans worshiped false gods, like many of your fathers, and like some of you. And you know, an, you know a Chaldean or you know a, a, an ancestral worshiper because it's all about them. Everything's done out of fear. Everything is done out of self-exaltation. Abram was called the exalted father. The exalted father, you become an exalted father when it's all about you. You have children for you. Not for them, you have children for yourself. You're not afraid to appease the gods with your child. We have, in our culture, we know that we've seen many people actually offer their children for self-enrichment. Well, some of you do it different ways. How many of you know that some of us educate our children well so that they'll take care of us later in life? That's not righteous. That's not godly. 
God says that a righteous father or a righteous mother, you say, Pastor Tom, this is supposed to be a nice message on Father's Day. It'll end up nice. Don't worry, it'll end up nice. (laughs) But I just thought I'd say a few home truths. A righteous father, the Bible says, leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. Doesn't say he takes from them. Amen? And so as our culture, as your culture becomes corrupted, things that used to be righteous, things that used to be good, things that actually had a biblical basis become corrupted and they become more and more about taking than about giving, more and more about exalting yourself than about giving. Well, God shows us the picture of a man who had that problem. His name was Abram. And he begins a journey with that man to take him out of the Chaldeans, out of soothsaying, out of ancestral worship, out of witchcraft, and into a relationship with a living God. And this journey takes many bends and many turns until finally one day God has Abram wrestling and and cuts covenant with him and Abram comes out and God takes him outside and says, I'm going to, and shows him the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And he says, so shall your children be. So shall your inheritance be. But by this time, Abram and his wife have never had a kid. They're barren. But once God deals with Abram's heart, He changes his name. He says, no longer shall you be Abram, you'll be Abraham. And what he did was he took the two letters of his own name, Yahweh, the two middle letters of his name, and he put it and inserted it into Abram's name. And he became Abraham, and he became a father of many nations. He became like God. God's nature began to work on the inside of him. And that's exactly what God intended. It's a picture of you and I that most of us are very selfish in the world that we live in. Without God, you're selfish. Without God, the only thing you think about as a father is yourself. But when God does a work in your heart, no longer do you think about you, you begin to think about others. And you can tell somebody who's been touched by God because the more that they walk with God, the less and less they think about themselves, the more they think about their children. The more they think about their spiritual children, the more they care for the people around them, and the more they care for about their community, the society. You can tell our ancestral worshipers by the fact that they do not care about their community. They do not care about their families. They do not care about society, and they do not care about those that they lead or govern. They only care about being an exalted father. I didn't say any names. Just read the newspapers. No, it's a picture of an ancestral society where, the, where we worship false gods. When you worship the loving and living father of uh, the, the one true God, he changes and transforms your life. The spirit of fathering is the most powerful spirit on earth. Ancestral worship does not lead to fathering. I'm sorry, it doesn't lead to fathering. It leads to taking care of yourself. It leads out of, it, it leads out of fear. And children are not nurtured nor cared for, maybe when they're babies, but not throughout their lifetime. The kingdom of God is about fathering. It's all about falling in love with our Heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. Jesus came as an exact representation of the Father. When Jesus came and walked on the earth, he modeled what the Father looks like. The Bible said he was the exact image of what God looks like. God so wanted you to see what he looked like that he sent his only son and said, if, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard my Father. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, Pray this way, our Father, not my Father, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see, Jesus also told his disciples, he says, it's my Father's good pleasure, it's our Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. 
God's not withholding anything from us because we're his kids. But we have to be able to receive a spirit of fatherhood and fathership if we're going to receive the Father's kingdom. Jesus came to break a spirit of fatherlessness. He came to adopt orphans. How many of you know that we're an orphan race? He came to adopt us. He came to restore the relationship with the Father. So kingdom living as you come into the kingdom of God, is all about learning about the Father. And on Father's Day, I can't think of anything I'd rather talk about than the Father. You see, the fathering spirit is the only antidote for an orphan spirit. And the spirit that's destroying Zimbabwe today is an orphan spirit. We have a whole generation of men that were never fathered. And we have a whole other generation of men that were never fathered because their fathers were never fathered. And so the diagnosis that we have to look at is that we have a fatherless nation. People aren't fathered. They're feared, but not fathered. And this wasn't just unleashed in this nation. This was unleashed in all the nations of the world at the fall of Lucifer. When Lucifer fell, he did it out of rebellion and he lost a relationship with God and from then on hated mankind and brought about as much as he could, anything he could do to destroy the picture of fatherhood. You see, when we talk about a society being destroyed, it's destroyed when you destroy the basic element of the society, which is the family. And the best way to destroy the family is to destroy the father. And so today, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot of things that are bringing destruction to fatherhood. Like gender confusion. There's a lot of gender confusion. This was explained to me the other day. Because I asked them and I said, if somebody murders someone and they think that they're a female, in fact, they've had all the sex changes, but they find their DNA and they were a male, what is their DNA going to say? Are they a male or a female? Well, the DNA is still going to be female or male, even though their gender changed to become a female. Because you can't change your DNA. But in our society today, we're supposed to believe that you can be anything you feel like you feel like you're supposed to be. But doesn't that confuse things? Who's father in the home if you have a gender change? Who's mother in the home? See, the Bible speaks about mothers and fathers. Can you have two female mothers? Which one's the father? I get confused. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too simplistic. But what I'm saying is the more confusion, the more attack against the home, the more attack against the basic building block of our society. And our own government has now taken money from the global fund and they put $3 million towards the HIV problem with our uh, age problem, and 25 or $26 million towards LGBT doctrines and, 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 and gender funding. Guys, we don't even believe in that in Africa. But yet we're taking money and we're spending on that doctrine because the West is perpetrating it against the church and against society and against families. And I know it's an agenda, and I know it's their agenda, but it's not God's agenda. God said, I created them, male and female created I them. Man and woman. And I'm sorry, if this offends one of you who's struggling with your gender, I want you to know something. We love you. But you don't have to wrestle against me. You have to wrestle with the scriptures. And it's not time for us to shrink back. It's time for us in Africa to stand up. 
You see, an orphan spirit is the most destructive spirit on the earth. It's a spirit that will take a son or a daughter out of your family. It will split families, divide families. It will keep us from becoming what God wanted us to be. So Abram, God deals with his heart to where he only thought about himself until one day he became Abraham. And the first words out of his mouth is, when can I have a son? When will I have a child? And he began to think not about himself but about others. And if you study his life, everything he did was about self-preservation. He even lied to Pharaoh about his wife to preserve himself, to keep himself. He would have let her die to keep himself alive. That's how it is in our society. Even our wives in a witchcraft society are only pawns on the chessboard for self-preservation. Only when a man comes into a real encounter with the Heavenly Father does he have the ability to become a father, to be a husband, to care for others, to think about somebody besides himself. And that's the story of the whole Bible, is that God takes men and takes people. We see the story of David, and I want to lead you into this story today. In First Chronicles, the 13th chapter, it was part of your daily reading yesterday. And it says, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the congregation of Israel, If it seems good to you and, 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 and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto the brethren everywhere that are left in the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and the suburbs, that they may gather themselves to us, and that we could bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not of it in all the days of Saul. And all the congregation said, hey, this seems like a good thing and that they would do so, for it was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all of Israel from Sihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from kereth Jerem. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is to kereth Jerem, which belongeth to Judah, to bring the ark of the Lord, uh, of God of the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubim, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahel drave the cart. And David and all people played before God with all their might, with all their singing, with harps, psalteries, timbrels, cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he had put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased with the Lord, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, whereupon the place is called Perusa till this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God back to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. That's a very powerful passage of scripture. And it gives a very good picture of David's mentality. David David knew God, but he had not yet encountered the Father. You understand, they have not sought the Father, they have not sought the ark of God, they have not sought God himself, because the Philistines had had the ark of the covenant. All of a sudden, the ark shows up, they don't know what to do with it, and David says, hey, I'll tell you what, let's get the ark to myself, I'll take it for me. I'll take it up to my city But he hadn't prepared anything for it. He didn't know how to move the ark. He says, make a new cart. So they put a worldly structure together. How many carts are made of boards and steering committees? So they get a new cart and they put the ark on the cart and the oxen stumble, and Ahel's driving it, and there's a guy named Uzzah. He sees the oxen stumble, and he holds the Ark of the Covenant from falling, and God strikes him dead. David says, hey, 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 hey. I never intended for this to happen. So he puts the, the Ark into Obed-Edom's house. 
And he goes and figures out what to do. In the meantime, he builds his own house. He takes care of himself. David, don't worry, David's taking care of David. Don't worry, that's what David does. David's going to build his own palace. He takes care of himself. You read chapter 14, David's taking real good care of himself. But then we come to chapter 15. Look what it says here. And David made himself houses in the city of David and prepared houses. He didn't make a house, he made houses. I was just in Swaziland. The, 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 the king of Swaziland has 14 wives and 14 different palaces. I thought of David. <laughs> David made himself houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Isn't that nice? I make houses for myself, but we're going to have a tent for God. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark. No, but, but by the time... By the time David did this, it looks like he read the Bible. Because here's what he said. Then said David, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. Of the, now I want you to see this. Of the sons of Korath... Uriel the chief and his brethren, 120, of the sons of Merari. And I'll tell you what, it goes through here and it talks about the sons of, 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 the sons of. Go to the next chapter. And David called Zadok and Abiathar the priests and the Levites. And it goes on and he says, uh, and he talks about, you are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God unto the place that we have prepared for it. Because you did not do it at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us because we did not seek him after the due order. Well, let me tell you something. When you read this, all of a sudden you see David says, wait a minute, we didn't seek God the way he wanted to be sought. We didn't seek him according to the due order. We just thought that anybody could touch the ark. Anybody could do what they wanted to, any way they wanted to. But when God smote Uzzah for touching the ark, David went and finally studied what the Bible said and said, oh, 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 wait a minute. And he called the fathers and the sons. And he said, fathers, instruct your sons. The son of so-and-so is going to do this. All the Levites. This is a picture of what God wants. And my wife got up this morning and was sharing with you at the baby dedication that it's up to fathers to instruct their children. It didn't say mothers. Mothers are the wisdom givers. Fathers are the wisdom givers. Mothers are the law givers. That's true. But fathers, you have to give the wisdom for mothers to give the law to. And the reason that our society is disintegrating is because our fathers have not instructed their children. We've educated them, but you didn't do that either. You paid for them to get an education, but you didn't instruct them. And there's a big difference between education and instruction. We have many educated people that are a menace to our society. They're smart enough, but not educated. Not, but they have not been trained. No character, just clever. Training has to do with the character of your child. Training has to do with the fear of the Lord. Training has to do with not teaching them what to do, but how to do, how to live, why to live. David figured it out. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't just do this. We can't move the ark of God without generations. You know, we, we have a problem in our society today where the young generation just can't wait for the old generation to die off so they can take over. But if the old generation was doing what they're supposed to do, they would walk with the young generation and prepare the way for them so that the, the handover, takeover is seamless. There should, be a hand, there should be a handover, takeover that is seamless in the church, in your business. I tell you, I've watched so many of our businessmen hold on to their company until there was nothing left and then say, here, son, do you want the company? And the son says, excuse me? Excuse me? 
there's a great bus company. And the son of that owner of that bus company was coming to our church. But by the time the dad wanted to give the bus company to his son, the buses were all on their last legs. There was nothing left of that great company. And the son says, Dad, there's nothing left for me. There's nothing for me to do here. And, and the, son, the father never let the son learn the business. So the son was gone off and done something else. I think he's a banker or something. But they could have had a destiny. They could have had a dynasty as a family. But the father was an exalted father. He didn't know how to father his son. It was a great tragedy to my heart to watch that. The father was not a believer. The father never did come to know Christ. But the son became a believer, and I believe that he's probably going to do better with his sons, hopefully. Is anybody listening to me? I'm not here to beat up on fathers. I'm here to say fathers. If we're going to have a if you're going to have a great family, you've got to train your sons. You've got to understand you have to walk with them and correct them and encourage them and guide them and give them more than just an education. Give them more than just the money. You've got to download to them. You've got to open your heart to them. You'll never be your children's friend. I want to be friendly with my sons, but I'm not their friend. I'm their father. I'm not trying to be their mucker. They've got muckers and mates, but I'm not that. We do things together, and I love being with them, and I want to do that my whole life, but I'll always be their father. Does that make sense to you? And so God the Father wants us to understand that, and he gives us these pictures throughout the scriptures. Here we see David. We saw Abraham. Let me just give you a couple of definitions here. The word father in the ancient Hebrew is a word picture. You know, these pictures are amazing. But it's two letters, Aleph and Bet, the first two letters of the alphabet. And the word Aleph literally is the symbol of an ox. It symbolizes the ox. And it's strength or to lead. Bet is literally a house. So the definition of a father is the strength or leader in the house. The one who's the strong one in the house. And it's a clear message for us today. It's a picture that gives us a promise. It describes the father as the strength or the leader of the house and which presents him as a blessing who can give support and direction to the family or even to a nation. And to fully understand this promise, you need to understand what the Hebrew concept of a father is. In the eyes of a Hebrew, a father is threefold. Okay? Each of these three different fathers in the Hebrew is to do something. Each of these fathers is meant to be a source of strength and a source of direction. The blessing that a father offers can come from any and from all of them. The first father that we all have is a natural father. Our natural fathers should be a source of strength and blessing to us. The second father is the man of God at whose foot feet you sit. And he's the one who should teach you how to succeed in life. But these two fathers cannot give you all of the strength and all the direction that you need. Because there's a third father in the Hebrew mindset that gives strength and direction to all men and his name is God. He wants to be known as Father. So for those of you that have not had the blessing of a good natural father or even a spiritual father, God has a promise for you. In Psalm 68, 5, it says that God is a father to the fatherless. He will strengthen you in trouble and he will give you the direction that you need. In James 1, verse 5, it says, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach 
and it'll be given to him. There is a father in heaven who wants to meet every one of your spiritual, financial, social, emotional, every kind of need imaginable, and he is a father to you. Hallelujah. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. One of the greatest revelations I ever had was the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father was revealed to me. Oh my gosh. I never knew what a real father. I had a great dad, let me tell you. My dad was a great dad. I can't say he was a great father. My dad had talked to me about sports. He'd helped me with money. He got me a car when I was too young. He, uh, <laughs> he was that kind of a dad. We, we, you know, business, we could talk about business. We'd figure stuff out. But when it came to talking to me about loving a wife or how to treat a woman or how to keep yourself sexually pure or how to keep your heart or, or any of those things that were the issues of the heart, he didn't know how to do that. And I love him to, 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 to pieces. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, my, I love my dad. And I love him as a father. And I honor him. I'll phone him this evening and I'll say, hey, dad, I love you. Uh, I'm glad he's alive. And, and he's brought great value to my life. And he's brought great, great value to my, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. He's just that kind of guy. But he didn't know. He was, he was fatherless himself. He didn't know how to be a father. Everything I've learned about fathering, most of it I've learned from my Heavenly Father, and I've had a few mentors around me that have taught me some things. And I'm hoping that I'm teaching my sons better than I learned. And I'm hoping I'm teaching some of you better than I was trained. Because it's a progression. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 talks about what would happen at the end of time. And he said, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. I believe that if Zimbabwe is cursed, and I believe we have a curse on us, this is where it hinges. Not in that we're not wealthy. I keep hearing that Africa is so rich, it's too rich to be poor. But we're rich in physical substance, we're rich in gold and diamonds and, 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 and the soil of the land, but we're poor in fathering. We're poor in passing on information. It seems to me that every generation has to start over, never standing on the shoulders of generations before them. It seems to me that many fathers are weak in helping their sons and preparing a way for them that they benefit from all their hard work and their labor. It would seem to me that often, as fathers, we expect our children, we think it's some kind of virtue for them to start over. I had to do it, so do you. Here's an amazing thing, I'll close with this. The word love in the Bible. The word love in the Bible the Hebrew word for love is pronounced ahav. It's made by taking the word for father and placing an open window in the middle of the word father. And what it simply means is, in, pict in pictographic languages, the father revealed. Love is the father with a window in the middle of it, revealed. The Hebrew word picture de defines love as the father revealed, and it's a definition of love that is confirmed in 1 John 4 and verse 8. The Bible says that God is love. Amen. And God wants you to know that, hey, if you have love, it's me. I'm in the middle of it all. So the word picture also tells us that through, the, through love, when we have love, others can see the Father's life. They can see our Father revealed. So when these children get up here and they're saying, oh, Pastor Tom, 
we thank you for what you did in church. I don't want them to see Pastor Tom. I want them to see the Father, the Father's love revealed. As a pastor, I'm not here to have you love me. I want you to see that there's a Heavenly Father that speaks through me to touch your life. In fact, my job as pastor is to represent the Father to you. Now, I can promise you I don't always do a good job because I'm still flesh and blood. I am not perfect like many other pastors in town. And, 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 and I have to say that God doesn't speak to me every five seconds. He does speak to me and God does guide me, but I'm also a fellow journeyer with you. I'm also learning of our Father together with you. He is infinite, I'm finite. But as much as I have handled and tasted and touched of the Word of God, as much as He's revealed me, Himself to me, I'm trying to show you. And that's why we do things like Be That Man. That's why we do things like Majoring in Men. That's why we do things for the women. Because you need a father too. I'm beating up on the fathers pretty good today, but you know, mothers needed fathers as well. Amen? The sisters needed a father and need a father. The Bible says this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me tell you something, when the love of the Father, the love of, the, of God is shed abroad in your heart, it's not hard to love each other. Amen. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. See, we are born of God because he's our Father. And we know that if we love each other. Now imagine the power of the church. Imagine the overpowering impact of the gospel in this world if we were to learn how to reveal the Father's love to those around us. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Today, I know it's Father's Day. There may be someone here today and say, you know, I've never ever known the love of the Heavenly Father. I've never given my life to God. I've never been born again. Jesus came to be a mediator for you and I. Through his shed blood on the cross, he was able to put his hands on God who's perfect and his hands on you and I who are sinners. And by that cross, build a bridge that we can become the sons of God. We can be restored. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means for us to accept what Christ did, to accept his propitiation and the reconciliation that he made for us so that we can be joined again in fellowship with our Father who's in heaven. We can come to know our Father. Today, if you've never accepted God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, if you've never come into a knowledge of God, you may know about a God. You may have even had a religious figure of a God. I grew up in a religion that I was studying to become one of their leaders in. As I was studying to be, I knew all the answers about a God, but I never knew him. Because I never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So today, if that's you, I'm just going to ask you all to bow your heads wherever you're at. Just think for a minute. You say, that, that is me. I don't know that guy. I don't know God the Father. I've never accepted what Jesus did on the cross for me. But wherever you're seated, with your head bowed and your eyes shut, and you're just thinking about it, nobody looking around. If I'm talking to you today, and you say, you know what? I sense that God's dealing with my heart. I'd like to receive the Father today. I'd like to be born again. I'd like to receive what Jesus did for me so I can have that relationship on this Father's Day. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand wherever you're at. Say, that's me. I need the Father's love. I need to be born again. Just raise it up and down so I can see. That's me. Is there anybody in this auditorium at all? What a great day to give your life to Christ. 
One hand back here, somebody else. Just quickly, up and down so I can see. God bless you. Who else? That's great. Well, lift your heads up for just a minute. For you that raised your hand, or for the, I think there might have been two of you that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to gather your personal belongings and make your way to the front here. But I think there's another call. How many of you say, I'd like to be a better father? I'd like to be a better father. See, I, don't, I know this. I want to be the best father I can be, and I, I, I don't know that I'm the best father. I, I've, I, I, I'm, I'm working on being a better father all the time. But if you say, Pastor, you know, I'd like to be a better father, would you just stand where you are and just say, that's me? I'm the first guy standing. I want to be a better father. Look at that. Now, there's so many of you that want to be better fathers. You know, we don't just get better because we want to be. You got to work at this. We got to work at being better fathers. That's why we have Be That Man. That's why we have cell groups. That's why we have men fellowship where we get together and we hold each other accountable. We say, hey, come on. What does the Bible say? We hold up that word of God and say, what does the Bible say about being the man? Ooh, I've, like Abraham, I've got to get rid of some of my culture where it's contrary to God. I had to get rid of a lot of my American culture. Because it was detrimental to what God's doing in my life. I'm not quite sure how to do this today. Because I see so many men here today that want to be better fathers. Some of you are great fathers. I get to know some of you, but some of you great fathers are still wanting to be better fathers. That blesses me. Some of you that have never been fathered don't even know what that's like. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite those of you that are standing. And I know there's a lot of you. But would you please do me a favor? Would you slip out of your seats and make your way to the front? I want to pray for you today. And I want to do something with you. You're that important. You're that important. You're that important. You're that important. God loves you. We love you. You gave life to me. Set me on your knees. Come right up here. Come on right up here. Come right up here. to a woman, have children by that woman, 
and behind the scenes they're taking care of a child they had when they were young don't know how to tell their wife hiding fearful I know men that have had numerous children they don't even know who their kids are but God touches them they don't know how to take responsibility they don't know what to do I know men who don't even know who their father is some are angry he never once told me I love you he never once looked me in the eye and told me that I'd make a success I have other men that have been broken by their fathers just spoken down to the whole time I have other men who would say yeah my dad was my idol but then dad may have failed or fallen or done something or we have other where we have great fathers I sit and talk to some of you your dad my dad did this he did that with me we but there's always something weak in every man not all perfect in every area so we need to not only forgive but we need to be forgiven real fatherhood isn't being exalted it's being transparent with each other and with our with our with our families and even with our own fathers I want to pray for you today that you'll be a better father. But I know the best way to be a better father is to be honest with your situation. Embrace it. Let God deal with you. Become the father. Take responsibility. Talk to your father. Some of you, I'll tell you what, you haven't talked to him maybe in days, weeks, months, years. Make the phone call today. Make the phone call. Hey, Dad. Dad, I just want to call you and tell you, thank you. Thank you for what? Hey, you're here. That's, that's, that's enough. If nothing else, you're here. You, he brought you into the world. Yep, that's all he ever did. Well, that's enough. At least you're here. But don't let his brokenness become your bitterness. Forgive him. Dad, I'm going to forgive you today. Some of us need to forgive our, the fathers of our nation. We just need to forgive them. We need to forgive our fathers. This generation hasn't pastored the nation. They've taken care of themselves. Self-evident. But that doesn't mean that they're the liberators. Liberators chow. That's what they do. They eat. They take care of themselves. They're exalted fathers. Some of you have that, entitled. It's ours, our turn to eat. Well, maybe. But when is it going to be your turn to build and leave an inheritance? That's what fathers do. Show the father's love. Jesus gave his own, the father gave his only begotten son for us because he loved us so much. Gave it all away. How will he not freely give you all things if he's willing to give him your son, his son? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I bring the men of our church before you. Look, look at these men, Father. Look at them. Look at them, Father. Look at them, Father. I want you to see them, Father. Look at them. They're saying, I want to be a better father. Father, many of us have never been father. We don't even know what that looks like. But Father, I ask that you look at their hearts today and that you begin that work that only you can do as painful as it might be, begin the work of making fathers out of men. Fathers out of men. Father, where we've been weak, Father, give us courage. Where we've lied, we want truth. Where we've defrauded, Father, help us to bring restoration. Bless us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Bless these men, Father. On this Father's Day, may we move from irresponsibility to responsibility. May we move from 
those that have been good dads to being great fathers. Help us to learn the skills. Help us to be willing to open our hearts to our children, our wives, all of our children. Guys, just look up here for a minute. One of the greatest sadnesses that I've had in my entire life is to see men who have never received a father's hug, never been embraced by a father, to never heard the words, I love you, son. I love you, son. I love you. But I want you to know something. There's a heavenly father. And if I could, I'd come and I'd give you a hug on his behalf right now to every one of you. But I'm going to ask you to do something. As much as you can, would you let the love of God come into your heart? Would you turn to a fellow man and give him a hug and say, hey, listen, I love you, son. Just do it on God's behalf. Say, I love you, son. Would you receive the uh, uh, love of a father? I love you, son. Come on, hug somebody. Hug a couple of people. Go ahead, tell them again. I love you. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know that this may feel funny to you. But let me, can I ask a question out here in the audience? How many of you in the audience say, you know what? I'm not sure I've ever had a father's hug. How many of our sisters say, I've never had a real father's hug? Just raise your hand. Let's just see. Would you look out there? Look at that. So many of our sisters and never had a father hug them. How many of you men feel like as you walk back to the, your seat, if one of the sisters or one of the brothers that didn't come forward here needed a hug today from a father, do you think you could give them a father's hug, the father's hug? You could do it in purity and you could say, I love you. Could you do that? Let's just practice, okay, on your way back to your seat. If you need a father's hug, let one of these men give you a big hug today. Come on, if you need a father's hug, get up and grab one of those men. We love you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.